We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. All right, so it's a live show once again. I would say for this week, but we don't do it every week, obviously. <laughs> it's pretty sparse, but I don't know about you guys, but I've been itching to do one. Uh, obviously, got Mikey, him, myself, and turn off this podcast, and we got Nikki, him, and Levi, he, him from the Intervention Podcast. How are you guys doing? We're doing good, buddy. Just living the dream in neoliberal hell. Hell yeah. Somebody's dream, for sure. I think it might yeah. be uh, the person we're going to be talking about today's fantasy. Yeah. I mean, Mike, you mentioned itching to do a live episode. And ever since this article came out that we're going to start with tonight, I've been clamoring to try to get some people together to at least read through this because it's fucking amazing. <laughs> but I think we should just launch into it because it's going to be pretty funny. So this article is from Wired, and the title of it is Pete Buttigieg Loves God, Beer, and His Electric Mustang. Sure, the U.S. Secretary of Transportation has thoughts on building bridges, but infrastructure occupies just a sliver of his voluminous mind. So, is it Elon Musk? They're talking about him like, gross. Yeah. I think I the quick answer is uh, yes. <clears throat> You're supposed to think of him like Elon Musk. Right. And it's just like, I don't know. I don't want to bury the lead too much, but I just read this title and I send it to some of my friends and I was like, they just grew this dude in a fucking CIA vat. Like, they're just trying to hit all of the boxes for what they think America wants right now, right? They want, like, inclusivity, and they want God and beer and electric cars. But I just, when it comes out, you just get this really bland personality that really has no shot at anything significant politically, I don't think, unless they really try to force them through. How about this? We take a shot. Every time a concrete policy is stated in this interview, so that would be dead sober. Yeah, I was going to say we sober as right. judges. Like, I uh, it Did just you have feels like a focus group. It, it feels like very focus grouped. Like just a second ago, before we started the actual recording, you were talking about how he pronounces his last name and how it's not how his dad pronounced it. And I had heard, I think it was on Chapo even, that they were saying that that was focus group. Like that was a decision that he came to to put out a way to pronounce his name easily because he knows it's like really difficult or just like looks difficult. And so that's what they came up with was the boot edge edge thing. And they would put like a graphic on there like boot and then like I guess however you represent an edge. Um, but I don't know if it like took, I mean, I guess people, for the most part, you hear his name in a Buttigieg, like people people get it, I guess. But it's just the focus group smarminess of all of it and his entire image is that, is what's so annoying about him, at least to us, but I guess that really appeals to like a certain subset of liberals. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, yeah, CIA vet, McKinsey vet, something like that. But whatever. I think we should just get into this article. Go ahead, Levi. Isn't the CIA vet just speculation? Was he never, he's never admitted to being part of the CIA. Yeah, but. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, there was like just the really suspicious timing of him taking like vacations in what, Somalia or something, right when there were operations going on in AFRICOM there. And then. It's a vacation, Wait, but it's also doing you, reports. Like, you haven't taken your vacation in Somaliland? It wasn't even Somalia, it was Somaliland, the breakaway uh, nation. I mean, I also do. Cruises and Disneyland and... Yeah. Yeah, we gotta go... But back. I don't write... But I just don't write fucking book reports about it like a nerd like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I only mentioned that the CIA is allegedly to add to the swarminess that he's not even hmm. honest about his actual past. He's very clearly hiding things and putting forward things that are just untrue. Yeah, absolutely. 
but uh, I think we should learn more about his voluminous mind. So I think Levi and I'll handle this interview because it is indeed an interview after this glowing introduction. So it starts off, and this article is by Virginia Hefferman. So, the curious mind of Pete Buttigieg holds only much of its functionality in reserve. Oh, no, I'm sorry, holds much of its functionality in reserve. Even as he discusses railroads and airlines down to the pointless data that his current stock and trade, the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, comes off like a Mensa black card holder who might have a secret go habit or a three-second Rubik's Cube solution or a knack for supplying, off the top of his head, the day of the week for a random date in 1404, along with a non-condescending history of the Julian and Gregorian calendars. What is a go habit? I have no fucking idea. Oh, it's that game. Um, people are like really obsessed with that game Go. They say it's very simple to learn, but like it's really hard to master. And it's like that one they played against a computer. Uh, it was like it made headlines a while back when computers were first starting to play games like that really well. And it's so, immense, like that group that you can buy your way into to be like a certified smart person TM or something like that. Um, it's based off of the concept of IQ tests, which mm-hmm. rose up by coincidence, around the same time as racial science and cranialism. But, you know, it, it's not discredited like those things. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, this is just the impression, I guess, that this guy gives off right off the bat. Said he's phony? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As Secretary Buttigieg and I talked in his underfurnished corner office one afternoon in early spring, I slowly became aware that his cabinet job requires only a modest portion of his cognitive powers. Other mental facilities, no kidding, are that is so gross. To- this, sorry, I, I know. Just, I hate to interrupt. That is just such a fucking <laughs> gross line. It's like, oh, he's only using like a portion of his big ass sexy brain. It's like, go fuck yourself. It's so gross. <laughs> yeah, why does like he create a lot of? <laughs> The bike lanes require a lot of time. <laughs> Why is this considered such a good thing? Like, oh, this public servant that's supposed to be working at the best of his ability at this, you know, incredibly important position doesn't really take it that seriously. He only puts part of portion of his thought into it. I know. I know. It's like My a, wife and I who would you about say that. that about in a job as a compliment? Yeah, I know. It's like we don't get, um, you know, we don't get kudos for having outside hobbies of work, right? It's like... And I think they mentioned that his office is underfurnished purposely to show that like, he doesn't spend a lot of time there. But it's like, it's not like he's fucking spending it in Palestine, Ohio. It's like, I don't know where he's spending it when these tragedies happen or when the infrastructure is crumbling, but he's not going on site. Right. Yeah, it's like they're, they're trying to sell us that his not doing his job is a good thing. And right. then what it, we, we broke you off here, but like what it lists that he is spending his time on doesn't seem that useful. Yeah. No, and like, I don't know. I think we should all be like well-rounded individuals, but like in this administration under fire, I think we should be focusing on what he's actually delivering or not. So, but yeah, this no. isn't like his job is at Hobby Lobby. Right. His job is a public servant. He doesn't have to have this job. Somebody else who actually is capable and wants to do it could hold that position. Exactly. But his other mental facilities, no kidding, are apportioned to the Iliad. Puritan historiography and Gnosgard's spring, though not in the original Norwegian slacker. Fortunately, he was willing to <laughs> devote another apps in his cathedral mind to making his ideas about three mighty themes. Guys, get ready. Neoliberalism, masculinity, and Christianity intelligible to me. Jesus Christ. Hmm. Is he saying that 
those things are unintelligible unless they're described by Pete Buttigieg? That's that's what Virginia is saying, yes. Hmm. I'm sure Virginia has never had to deal with masculinity. Those are pretty much just the overriding three principles of fascism right there. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God. Anyway, because Buttigieg at 41 is an old millennial, because as a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford, he got a first in PPE, which is philosophy, politics, and economics, the trademark degree for Labor Party elites of the Tony Blair era. Again, like why we are valorizing these people, I have no idea. Because he worked optimizing grocery store pricing at McKinsey. Because he joined the Navy in hopes of promoting democracy in Afghanistan. Because he got gay married to his partner Chasen in 2018. And because, as mayor of South Bend, Indiana, he agitated to bring hipster entrepreneurism and high-tech investment to his Rust Belt hometown. Can we just take a moment to unpack that whole sentence? Just one list item at a time. So the first is, what, is an old millennial. Okay, they're pushing this idea that he's young. I guess that's a real issue. We don't want, you know, Feinstein running for president. Fair enough. So we'll give him that. One one for O. He's a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford where he got his PPE. The trademark degree for Labor Party elites of the Tony Blair era. I don't know what's entailed in being a Rhodes Scholar. The only thing I know about it, and I will look it up after the show for further information just because now I'm curious. But I remember when I was like 16 and got into like Freemasons and Illuminati. Uh, they talked briefly about Rhodes Scholars and why those are bad and why it's like studying the path of this guy. I want to say it's Samuel Rhodes. And I don't know anything about him. I'm just going to assume this guy was some kind of piece of shit slave owner who had like libertarian principles. And <laughs> that these people who are and who, Bill Clinton was also a Rhodes, Rhodes Scholar. So uh, bat and zero right, right there. Like I'm not a fan of either of these people so far. Let's name some uh, famous Rhodes Scholars. Uh, we have George Stephanopoulos, Rachel Maddow. Gross. Uh, yeah, Ronan Farrow. That one's okay. Uh, Chris Christopherson. That one's actually pretty good. Yeah, like Chris. Naomi. Yeah, Naomi Wolf. Seems like a crapshoot, honestly. Yeah, but again, the what did he do with article, that scholarship? Right, and you're emphasizing here that you know this puts him in the line of you know illustrious neoliberals such as Tony Blair, right? Um, then he goes on to work at optimizing grocery store pricing. At That's McKinsey. a really cute way to put yeah, that. And he had like fucking over the working class by raising prices through the roof, right? Making sure poor people, I think it was specifically in Canada, could not afford milk and bread, even though it was a required pricing index by the Canadian government. And that got McKinsey in trouble because they were actively undermining the minimum social democratic norms of the country. Yeah. But, you know, an accomplishment is an accomplishment. (laughs) And then... It only only took a sliver of his cathedral mind. (laughs) That's right. He did that in an evening. Come on. And then he joins the Navy in the hopes of promoting democracy in Afghanistan. I can't believe we're still Mm. fucking writing this shit. I cannot believe in 2023 people are allowed to write shit like this. Yeah, they couldn't say something better. Like, democracy didn't work out over there. Even the, the fake democracy that we were saying we were pushing there? Like, the, is Virginia not aware of what happened 
in the last uh, 20 apparently years? Apparently not. So here's the thing. If we want to get drunk, what we're going to do is take a shot when we say democracy in this article because it comes up throughout. And again, it's just as empty every fucking time they say it. But I mean, this, this is, is all also, okay because... Oh, go ahead. Well, just real quick. This is also on the tail of like, what was it? The, um, the Brown University report talking about how everyone has always just kind of casually rolled off the, the figure of a million dead Iraqis for the Iraq war. And then just the recent study is saying now it's actually closer to like four to five million. Yeah. Yeah. And because they're including all the Middle East wars are including Afghanistan and that, and then they're including all the knock on effects that have happened since, which you should, because those are all literally consequences of this unjust war. So that's why this rings especially hollow to say that he's promoting democracy and just like to paint it in that fucking boot looking way that they're doing it right here is just really gross but i also still just can't get that image out of my head nick of you saying like oh he's just like using a portion of his brain he's like that only took him a night it's like yeah he's really cool because while he's doing these humanitarian atrocities he's also got like i don't know some fucking uh schopenhauer and in the other hand and it's like really it's like that doesn't make it any better like i'm not more impressed by this guy just because he's doing he's multitasking his atrocities like go fuck yourself but mike what if i told you he's gay <laughs> oh well now oh. I can't say anything. Like... <laughs> <laughs> also, you you have to look at the time that he actually joined the navy. So he says that he joined the navy or this article claims he joined the navy in order to support democracy. He didn't sign up until 2009. At that point even the Democratic Party was claiming they were against the war in Afghanistan. Right. So what was he really signing up for? It was careerism. And, period. Yeah, and he wasn't like, you know, the working class person trying to get an education you know like trying to fund his way to a better life whatever through the military that wasn't his story this was an active choice for his career to your point but that and, and I, after working at mckinsey signing up into the military i have a hard time believing he was put on the front lines with that yeah. experience vacations to somaliland buddy but uh, I accidentally, then, sorry, again, real quick, I accidentally clicked the wrong article at first. And the other article that you guys had in the chat is uh, the headline was the triumphs and challenges um, of Pete Buttigieg's of Pete Buttigieg's biggest role yet. Quote, you're going to get shot at. <laughs> so we can talk about that one after this. But <laughs> I somehow I don't believe he's really going to be in any kind of danger. Right. I feel like he was probably in as much danger as what was his name? Prince Harry was being deployed mm -hmm. in Afghanistan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As was, he was, you know, shooting Afghanistan people like in like a video game, as he described it, because he's good at video games and it's just like, you know, toggling around to fucking end people's lives. Yeah, that Fuck line from his uh, ghostwriter really got him in trouble. Yeah. That's a good one. But I don't know. And then, you know, of course, we top it all off by being the mayor of South Bend. And I mean, I don't know enough about South Bend from what I read, it sounds like he didn't really accomplish all that much, but whatever. I believe he fought to keep a police officer that arrested and beat to near death a African-American individual in his job. I just remember oh, yeah. that because it actually hurt him a little bit when he was running for president, but it was pretty quickly buried. Yeah. yeah. But you're, you're cutting out the, the lead in that description. So it's where he agitated to bring hipster entrepreneurism and high-tech investment to his Rust Belt hometown. If that's not gentrification. Wages. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's what the working class needs. Um, but in any case, to get back to the article, because we're never going to get through this fucking thing. I told you guys, we're not going to, we don't need anything else. Yeah. But 
<laughs> so Virginia says, I had to ask him about neoliberalism. The happy idea that consumer markets and liberal democracy will always expand and will always expand together. I was also fascinated by the way that Buttigieg, who has long described himself as obsessed with technology and data, has responded to the gendering of tech, and especially green tech, by fearsome culture warriors, including Marjorie Taylor Greene. Ooh. <laughs> Big scary madge. That's such Buttig a str strange statement that Virginia writes there. She writes, the happy idea that consumer markets and liberal democracy will always expand. I mean, if it was written by somebody that we believed in as an academic, we would think like, oh, that's like sarcastic. Yeah. But what is yeah. her point there? She actually believed that? Is she like doing some weird irony to this? I mean, the way that he is held up in this article and the way the ideas that he holds are celebrated, I think that this person buys that again. And it, it's tied to this idea of that you're trying to spread democracy in Afghanistan. It's like these people haven't seen that this shit is all a fairy tale yet, you know, or else they've seen it and they just refuse to fucking acknowledge it and internalize it. Yeah. To a point that Mike made earlier, neoliberalism fits really well in far right wing ideology. So it's kind of strange that she ties Marjorie Taylor Greene as some sort of boogeyman when I would say she's, pretty on board with neoliberalism as well yeah yeah just maybe a different interpretation of it but in terms of like free market uh, and <laughs> what i don't know if it'd be that different yeah. but would it be like more accepting a different of different people being exploited I guess, I guess different expressions of it you know what i mean but fundamentally still the same mm -hmm. no i got you but yeah anyway Buttigieg, whose father was a renowned marxist scholar was himself a devotee of Senator Bernie Sanders as a young man. You know, no, that's the prerequisite to being a Marxist, the devotee of Bernie Sanders. So I don't know anything about his dad, but anyway. Um, he rec now recognizes that the persistence of far-right ideology with its masculinist and anti-democratic preoccupations is part of the reason that neoliberalism has come undone. Not everyone, it seems, even wants a rising standard of living if it means they have to accept the greater enfranchisement of undesirables, including, of course, women, poor people, black people, and the usual demons in the sights of the world's Ted Cruz's and Tucker Carlson's. So the basis that sentence is making is that standards of living are rising for everybody. Right. But some people are mad about it because other people's standards of living are also rising. That's what's happening in this country right now. Mm -hmm. Too much standard of living rising across the board. Yeah. Not That's to mention that, that standards of livings are falling, that life expectancy is plummeting. Yeah, that our wages are fucking stagnant since the 70s. Okay. It's such a crazy premise. And like, to go back to your point earlier, it's like, what policy of neoliberalism would Marley, Marjorie Taylor Greene disagree with? She would not disagree with like freeing up markets, cutting regulations. And these are all the things that Buttigieg would have had to have done in South Bend. I don't know like what he actually did, but I imagine that South Bend did not have a bunch of hipster cafes and now does. And there's probably a bunch of places that a bunch of baristas work and can't afford to live nearby. And so they have to commute really far because the area got gentrified. I'm just assuming. I'm literally just assuming because that's what happened in every fucking city in America that now has like a hipster area. And yep. another fucking like thing that Chopper just did a fucking episode on. I can't stand how much content they produce because I cannot say anything in the leftist sphere without referencing <laughs> yeah. it. Like I can't yeah. do it. Like, uh, um, but it is very true. Like they're not wrong talking about those fucking. And South Park did an episode on this years ago, like the Soto Sopo or whatever they called it. It's like every fucking town has done this because they saw it was a quick cash grab. And 
you know, fucking nuts to all the workers who have to deal with it. But like, yeah, it does suck for everybody involved. Like when your real estate prices go up, your property taxes go up more than you can afford. So none of these things are like achievements in my eyes for Buttigieg. But of course, for neoliberals who are like, who think the biggest opponent is like NIMBYs, just people who want to oppose development just for no good reasons because they're what like old crotchety got like, I'm picturing like some literally minor guy like from the foothills of like, a, or what do you call it? Like the, I'm watching a lot of Deadwood lately, if you can't tell. Like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> who are these real, like, who are these NIMBYs who are resisting things just for the sake of like, traditions or they just don't want development i think they're the same non-existent people as the people who don't like standards of living rising across the board because they don't want black people or gay people to also have it. it's like they don't exist like people are turning against or turning to the culture war and turning against their fellow citizens because they want someone to blame for their continued decreasing conditions or the fact that they're just not going up as because some people are still seeing some kind of increase in their lifestyle but not the way that they wanted to not like with the trajectory that their parents had or that they were promised their entire lives so yeah that's why they're turning to extremism in general and they're quick to find people who just say oh it's of course the gay people who are coming after kids too because that rings especially emotionally uh for them yeah this and article so tries... like Buttigieg just for that alone but sorry go ahead yeah this article tries to make the argument that like the pie is getting bigger for everybody and people are fighting over the slices when I, I'm pretty sure the opposite is what's happening. The pie is getting smaller, and people are fighting over those slices still. Yeah, and that's what's creating resentment is because there's not any actual interest in reconceiving of the notion of the economic system itself to make it actual equitable. No, I mean that's perfect. You're saying in like five words what I was going to be very wordy about and say that people are turning to fascism because all they know is this individualist approach where. The only thing we can do to improve your community is bring in more fucking tech investors or more like hipster shops, which we know don't improve things because we've seen that and it just made the whole area suck. Like, Or even more depressingly, when they're fighting over prison contracts or mental health institution contracts, which provide what, like a dozen jobs that pay $12 an hour, but no small city mayor can actually turn those kinds of things down. Yeah. And that's what you see all over rural America. I mean, where I grew up, I know like the Trillbillies, if you listen to them, they talk about it. It's like Eastern Kentucky. It's like, yeah, a lot of the jobs are gone, but we'll throw a fucking prison to throw in the urban, you know, the urban riffraff into in your area and we'll have a jobs program for your psychopaths. Yeah. And your congressional district will have an extra 5,000 people in it that we can use to pack. Yeah. 5,000 unvoting, but still counting people. So he also talked about his faith to get back to the article. Lefties these days, so we're, we're, we're calling them a lefty, guys. Lefties oh, yeah, these yeah. days are said to be less religious than right-wing evangelicals, but between Buttigieg, whose Episcopalianism grounds his decision-making, and his boss, President Joe Biden, whose robust Catholicism drives his sincere effort to revive America's soul, perhaps a religious left is rising again. Hmm. I love these narratives about religious left rising again. It's like, do you not realize that the black community has never gone towards not being religious that when you say the religious left is rising again you're actually pointing towards people like malcolm x mm -hmm. martin luther king jr and or, uh, that community has not stopped being religious you just never really liked that form of the yeah. religious left or the liberation theology in latin america which you drowned in fucking blood with your neoliberal ideology yeah and i think that just gets that they're not talking about the religious left with a capital L. They're talking about the religious neoliberal left-ish. It just seems like with his like his manufactured personality that they're just trying to like 
throw things and see what sticks. It's like, see, he's religious. You can get behind him, you know, but there's no substance to this at all on a fucking material level. But anyway, no, that's actually what, go ahead. That's actually what kind of sucks about it, too, is like because it comes across so obviously focus grouped and so obviously phony, um, it actually just adds more fodder to the right who have this false dichotomy between religion and groomers and pedophiles. Like, I can't get that out of my mind. It, like, the modern right is taking this position because I keep thinking about how to best meme it. Like, what is the best way to turn this into like a shorthand that really gets it across? And people have done it a lot of ways, but like, just the idea of these right wingers thinking that they are edgy and counterculture by standing up to some vast conspiracy of groomers and their idea of doing this is siding with organized religion or just religions in general. It's like, what do you fucking think religion is, you dolts? Like, <laughs> it is the biggest conspiracy of groomers the world has ever known. Like, what? How do you not see how dumb you are? I don't know. And yeah, so at least when, on the institutional level, you know what I mean? The way the institutions exist right now. So when he does this thing where he tries to pose himself as also a very devout religious guy, it's like, bro, they're just going to think that you're even more fake and use that against you to say that you are a groomer trying to invade their space and their religion and everything. It's like, it's not going to work for you. Yeah. Then his convictions to religion seem so half-hearted and manufactured. He only states it in like the vaguest, broadest, most boring terms. He doesn't seem to be actually motivated. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not uh, in keeping with the rest of his brand, but you actually think of religious figures throughout history that have been, motivational or inspirational it's their ability to actually bring that into their real lives and to convince you that it actually is bearing on the way they see the world not something that they've you know gone the opposite direction and patched onto how they kind of see the world yeah for good or for ill whatever they're doing is driven by a real fucking conviction so don't try to tell me that like episcopalianism drives this guy's neoliberalism that's not what it is yeah, so, that just sounds pathetic. Right. Yeah. And this is the, honestly, this is the, this is the, like to put, and I don't pay a lot of attention to Pete Buttigieg or anybody in fucking Joe Biden's cabinet, but this is the first time I've ever heard about him being religious at all in this article. So, I really? mean, that should, that should, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, a, maybe that, that says more in, about me, but I don't know. That was a line in his presidential run, and it was always so easily undercut by just saying, this idea of the left becoming religious again is clearly silencing a bunch of people on the left that have been and always have been religious, like the the Poor People's Campaign or the leaders of SCLC, SNCC, the black nationalists. I mean, most of them were very religious people. Yeah. But they get silenced in this narrative. Yeah, I don't think from like an organizing perspective on the left, we need to be driving the religious people away in terms of just how they look at the day-to-day life and how they deal with people and shit like that. But I mean, what Buttigieg is doing, one, he's neither on the left, nor is he very sincere. So, <laughs> and I would, uh, Nick. sorry, go ahead. I would just be willing to wager a bet that he's probably not especially religious either. Yeah. hundred percent. But we don't, we don't know his heart if he has one. <clears throat> I was just going to say, I didn't realize Nick that you had just now gotten to the interview portion of it. Like we're very, early on in this like this is way longer than we're gonna have to do two live episodes this week just to cover this article <laughs> yeah we can skip around through the interview if you guys want if you don't want to do the whole thing um there's I just mean, so I, got, much, I got nothing but time i'm down it's there's I, so I much fucking ju- there's so much juice man 
Let's um, get, with that, let's get into it. I'll be uh, taking the position of Virginia here. Sorry, what I just scrolled the... down a bit and just saw the words, the woke Pentagon. Sorry, continue. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my, it's terrible, dude. That's so bad. Anyway, so what is neoliberalism and what happened to it? When it comes to neoliberalism, we got mugged by reality. That's one cheeky way to put it. Poor old liberals, always getting mugged by reality, or just muggers. Look, in the early part of my adulthood, neoliberalism was described almost as a consensus that just made sense, at least to everybody in positions of influence. Now it's very different. We have experienced the end of the end of history. We have certainly experienced the limitations of the consensus. None of the assumptions from between roughly 1991 and 2008 have survived. Nor were they ever actual real assumptions for anyone outside of the Clinton circle. Specifically? Certainly not the idea that the global move toward democracy is a one-way street, nor the idea that greater integration between markets and governments means greater political harmony. Or the idea that... I think we should, we should also like be clear when we're editorializing too, because like if uh, yeah. Levi is going to read the interviewer's voice and we got to know, like, so that whole thing yeah. you just said about the Clintons was not like in the, in the text of the article, but like, of course, I mean, dead on, but it's just like, I like that he's that, referencing that Fukuyama was wrong. I love that. Like they're willing to admit that, but it's still like, I want to know by the end of this article, like if his solution is just going to be more of the fucking same, or if he's actually yeah. going to suggest something different, like. I also think it's crazy. He's considering Fukuyama as being true through 2008. Mm. That's pretty late even for Clintonites to be continuing to believe in Fukuyama. <laughs> it's like, shit's going bad. Yeah, dude. <laughs> and then what, right. what is his, what is 2008? Why is he picking that date? What, is that the, the financial crisis? Is that what he's referencing? Yeah, I guess the housing, the housing crash and everything, right? Okay. Well, let's see where he builds on that. He, he's not going to. I was giving him some hope. <laughs> so back to Pete. So certainly not the idea. Yeah. Nor the idea that if we acted to make sure the pie gets bigger, as we we're talking about, everyone's slice would follow suit, which was the promise that was made to the industrial Midwest at the time of NAFTA. Well, the lived reality of the younger generations is that they are experiencing climate issues, not as a theoretical possibility, but as a clear and present danger. These are generations that have experienced the reality that disparities, including racial disparities, left alone will only compound. They won't cure of their own gravitational tendency. Okay, I'm going to jump in here as Nick. This is what we're saying. We need a concrete change to neoliberalism. And you are being posited here as a champion of neoliberalism. So, what are you going to do differently? I have a feeling... He's going to put forward suggestions for policies, maybe even put them up to votes that are going to again, then get watered down, compromised with Republicans, or blocked entirely in process, and then not implemented in any way that would be significant to combat any of these problems in any way. Um, and then the next administration will just have to take over that problem, and the can will get kicked down the road, essentially. That's literally what the plan has always been and will continue to be. I think even you're being too kind. I think he's going to grandstand, say a bunch of really nice adjectives, talk about the younger generation, say words like climate change to show that he's not a Republican. And a millennial. can't say that. And a millennial. He might make some TikTok videos about it, but I don't even think he's going to have legislation addressing it. I think he's going to make some executive order. This is the theoretical President Buttigieg, right? 
he might make some theoretical talk about making executive orders, but he won't make them because he'll say the courts are packed and they'll just be shot down. So he doesn't have to actually do it. What was or, that? What was that fucking fictitious role that they pulled out of their ass? Parliamentarian. The parliamentarian. parliamentarian. <laughs> you read my mind, Nick. I was just thinking. It. Yeah, the parliamentarian will come back along that fucker. <laughs> Our vice president, Cinema, won't sign on. Yeah. Oh, you know, thumbs down, cutesy, like leg cocked up to the side. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's interesting that like he seems to be even like pushing back in the interview a little bit on her initial formulation, Virginia's initial formulation. You know, like he's saying that like the promise of NAFTA, and I'm sure, you know, Clinton sold it as well as he possibly could, but he's admitting that it didn't work out, right? Yeah. And this wasn't he's making this out to be like something that we all bought into, the promise of NAFTA. This was something that was gonna work. Like there was a big movement against NAFTA as it was being described. Yeah. Ross Perot was one of the most popular third-party presidential candidates in American history, basically running against the concept of NAFTA. He's yeah. doing, he's being really cutesy about it, like, oh, we all we all thought this was gonna work. Oops. It's like, no, nah, there's a lot of people that were saying it wasn't gonna work, even as it was being theoretically spoken about. Yeah. And now Trump gets to come along and say, hey, they fucked you. I'm not going to do anything about it, but at least I'm going to appeal to the fact that I know that they fucked you. And, yeah. you know, we can feel good about that together because we both know. No, don't you know how much he decreased the power and uh, reach of the deep state and all these corporations in the four years he was in office? Like, there was a total significant difference there. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know, he didn't have any neocons or, you know, veterans of the war on terror, quote unquote, in his administration at all. We really need somebody above board in there. Somebody that brought democracy to Afghanistan and fixed the supermarkets <laughs> with McKinsey. You know, they'll figure out how to fix NAFTA. Yeah. They did those other things so well. Right. So Pete ends that last part by talking about, you know, that these ish- issues won't cure of their own gravitational tendency. And I'm sorry, now that I say that, I thought of something else. It's just always ascribing market forces to some external power right like it's just that invisible hand invisible all over hand, it again it's like motherfuckers you control this shit this is not something that is not controllable okay yeah and i i hate to take his father's position as a cultural marxist here but even if you use, look at the language that he's saying here it's a gravitational tendency they won't cure of their own gravitational tendency, but he is arguing that they have a gravitational tendency. Exactly, that's that what I'm saying. Aspects yeah. of nature that we just need to work around, which of course is only true when it's most convenient for the people in power. When it's no longer convenient, here's your bailout. Right. Here's your bank buy. Here's your money. But as soon as it's convenient for markets, for McKinsey, for X, Y, Z, it's all of a, all of a sudden it's gravitational. They can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. So the next hard-hitting question, or tendencies of the market? Right, because market tendencies depend very much on what you have to begin with, the initial endowment, as the economists call it. But your initial endowment looks very different if your previous generation was dispossessed. Last year, I was in Berlin as they were confronting the tectonic disruption that had been caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They have this very German word for it, Zeitenwende. A turning point. The war blew up their presumption that when it came to Russia, more integration between it and Europe would mean more stability. Okay. 
who 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 blew up literally blew up integration between russia and europe i don't i don't know dude we, we actually don't know. I think it was like some kind of pro-Ukrainian. Uh, it was five it was Ukrainians like a, in a fucking sailboat. God yeah. damn it. <laughs> hey, man, it might have been Polish people. These other theories. <laughs> That's right. But I just love this term. The Germans have a word for it. Zeitwenden. It's like, oh, so do we. It's called cognitive dissidence. <laughs> and that word would have been so much more clarifying had you used it instead of a random German phrase. It's just so phony. It's like that kid in math class, or that kid in class that you just like want to tell to shut up. Like nobody cares that you went to Spain for a year. Yeah, I feel like yeah, people just appeals to the all the the crowd of the, the fans of uh, Young Sheldon and fucking Definitely. Big Bang Theory. Like, <laughs> also, like what happens when just to go back to the previous paragraph? What happens when every generation has been dispossessed really since the Boomers? What happens to your endowment then? Well, you know, that's just the end of history ending. Uh, but what comes after that? Well, we don't know yet. We're just going to keep trying the end of history thing because it'll work this time. Like, we got nothing else, guys, really. Did you know that he had faith? That'll help. <laughs> he goes on. This has been our presumption about China, too. The greater economic integration would mean not just greater stability, but a more or less inevitable move on the part of China into greater acceptance of democratic norms, market norms, and a rules-based international order. We've come to the point where we are super integrated, but that economic relationship with China has not yielded the kind of comfort that was promised. That's such an annoying sentence. The whole fucking paragraph is really annoying. It's just this notion that democratic market norms, rules-based international order. It's like he's trying to link these three together as though they are inseparable. That democracy is something that needs to have free market. I mean, from the American perspective, from the American foreign policy neoliberal line, those things are inseparable. And we're meant to think of those things all as one. And it's the U.S.-based international order because we make the rules, right? And China is trying for economic integration and the u.s is doing everything we can to stop them the u.s i mean china i think would welcome the u.s into the belt and road initiative right but instead we're screaming about chinese citizens by private chinese citizens buying land here like here's your free market y'all what do you want one of my favorite moments this week i found a, a video on instagram like the reels algorithm has been getting really good at least for me like i guess i've liked enough videos now that it's actually showing me things that I want to see, so it's pretty funny. But it showed me the other day this like grand granny farmer, like I can't, it might have been like one of her like sort of her handle or something like that. But she's talking about all this land and that China is buying up, and the comments were consisting of right wingers saying, "Yeah, this is a problem. We got to get rid of every Chinese person," or liberals saying, "Well, that's like less than one percent of the farmland, so why don't you like actually care about like ConAgra buying up all the farmland or like Canada buying up the farmland too?" And it's like. Okay, valid point, but it's also not going to like work because hypocrisy owns don't work. And then I have to jump in with just be like, well, if you don't like it, buy back from them. Do you guys not like capitalism? Like, are the communists doing capitalism better than you guys? Like, right. that's the direction I keep taking with. And these guys get very angry. They really do. They get very mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's the free market, baby. That's what I'm saying. But yeah, I mean, just this. I mean, it's just the neoliberal line on Russia and China, and it just shows 
how dangerous they are, even in his like couched like soft terms it's just like well we tried with them but i guess now we're gonna have to bomb the shit out of them you know like fuck yeah it's like they're not they're not following the rules like mexico yeah they're not making our stuff super cheap and having infighting and inability to have a social program can't have that he finishes up as we careen toward the second quarter of the century, suddenly industrial policy sounds less retro and more like a response to the times. Industrial policy? Is this paleo-liberalism? Well, there are some new, or at least renewed, ways of thinking about transportation policy we work on at DOT that embrace the importance of public investment, which is a big part of the philosophy of the infrastructure bill. There are more than 32,000 new infrastructure projects now underway in every state and territory all across the country. We created an interactive map so people can see what's up in their communities. We're also facing the effects of anti-competitive behavior in pretty much every industry connected to the movement of people and goods. Anti-competitive behavior? What is that a euphemism for? And that's Levi asking the question for the listeners. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> that that would be my actual question. But yeah. You know, yeah. I, Virginia yeah. goes off on some crazy tangent. <laughs> that would be my real question to him is, so you use the phrase uh, anti-competitive behavior is pretty much every industry. What the hell are you talking about? Yeah. Like, what, what does that mean? Do you guys have any idea? Well, we're just... <laughs> We're just reaping what we sowed in terms of privatizing every government effort over the last 30 years. Yeah, seriously. Is that what it is? Like, oh, we let all of these companies just buy each other to the point where there's no competition whatsoever. And whenever there is, they just buy it out again. And now the government is completely tactile and unable in- to do anything. And then also literally rights and regulations as well. Like, Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Just as like an anecdote to kind of reinforce my point. And I don't know if this is related. I looked at that map a little bit, and there's a lot of like construction everywhere, I guess. But you know, I'm there's a there's a bridge project going on that I have to pass by on my way to work every day, and it's not PennDOT, Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. It's a private company. So like, you know, again, you're talking about like this big infrastructure bill, which gets pushed off as with so much of our, you know, state apparatus gets pushed off and put out to the private market. And it's like, now you're concerned about anti-competitive behavior rising in the private market when you've systematically dismantled the ability of the state to actually do this stuff on its own. Like, again, you asked for this. You were there for a toll on that bridge. You're going to get a toll soon. (laughs) (laughs) What's even... What's even Dude, crazier? I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if I had a toll on the bridge if I knew it wasn't going to collapse because you know what? <laughs> we have collap- we have collapsing bridges in Pittsburgh, buddy. No, you'll get the toll, <laughs> but also the collapse. <laughs> What's even crazier is that the way this infrastructure bill was written is that the government actually covers the tolls, and that's how these private companies just continually cash paychecks from the infrastructure bill You know, 10 years from now when it, we're no longer thinking about it. It's socialism for the private market. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, could we really not have enough creativity in this country to just directly fund PennDOT to make this stuff? And then we don't have to continually pay for a poorly maintained bridge for the next 10 years? Like It's, it's inane. This is neoliberalism, period. That's yes, what it does. Exactly. This, is what it, this is how it's meant to function. This is not a bug. This is it. 
hundred percent. Yeah, that's why as accurate as it is, like it's annoying to even hear like the socialism for the rich. Like it was it really rung true. Like it definitely I think opened a lot of people's eyes when Bernie was starting to say that, like, I don't know, eight, ten years ago. But yeah, it's just it's frustrating to people once you actually start to learn about what socialism is. It's like, oh, okay, now you're just like doing that thing. I sent you guys that video earlier of the guy who was like talking about the bill that Ron DeSantis is passing and then mm. compares it to like a Russian anti-free press bill. And it's like, okay, like, yeah, I'm sure Russia is not a great place. Um, but there are enough bad things going on here that we don't need to compare ourselves to Russia or any other country that we're hostile towards just to point out something that's bad. Like you can do it without the xenophobia. You really can. Like stop wearing the hijab, white women. Ugh. Yeah. You know, like when whenever like abortion rights are under attack, stop comparing this to the Taliban. Just fucking deal with it on its own terms, you know? Yeah, why can't we just argue for a better world instead of arguing against the worse world? Right. Is our imagination that depleted? I, I guess the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. But let back grab, to... Let me grab a beer real quick. All right, I'll take over for Buttigieg in Virginia for a second here. All right, cool. So was there, maybe... A comeback of a pared-down version of neoliberalism, or at least the hope that markets and democracy might work in sync, when Ted Cruz coined woke Coke to show contempt for Coca-Cola's protest of voter suppression in Georgia? I don't even really understand what the hell she's referencing on yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, question. I'm like reading the question again. I'll, I'll read Pete's part if you want uh, while Nick is... Oh, here comes Nick. But um, what is that question even like? Was there maybe a comeback of a pared-down version of neoliberalism? Or at least the hope that markets and democracy might work in sync when Ted Cruz coined the woke Coke to show contempt for Coca-Cola's protest. Okay, so she's commending Coke for standing up against voter suppression in Georgia and then saying that Ted Cruz condemning them for that was going to spur a comeback of neoliberalism, but like just not quite like a, a broken down, like a little limping neoliberalism that we can tolerate because the the full scale roaring neoliberalism was really bad so this is like the the weak version i don't know i don't ugh. but go ahead so if i'm gonna like guess on what so i think it's even important what we know what she's asking so we can even judge Buttigieg's response to this and it's so confusing because i don't remember this woke coke thing no that, even that though is, is this like something that like me. yeah is this something that's like a talking point on msnbc or something that we've just glossed over as people that are capable of turning off the tv it's like liberal benghazi yeah is that what this is because i'm so confused it sounds like there was this hope for a new neoliberalism she calls it a pared down neoliberalism where market and democracy would work in sync so she's saying coca-cola talking about voter suppression is neoliberalism at work it's the market making sure that the government is functioning properly whereas ted cruz is fighting against neoliberalism because what their view of Ted Cruz and Marjorie Taylor Greene and any of the other boogeymen is they are anti-neoliberal, right? I mean, this Some... is a question you ask when your entire analysis of politics relies on identity politics, mm-hmm. right? Like this question does not fundamentally challenge Koch's market dominance and how that relates to neoliberalism or anything like that. Like, I mean, that's the only way I can read this question. It's because it's, you're not even taking the relations to production into account at all. So you're very confused about what neoliberalism actually is to even begin to ask a question like this. 
Do you want to bet that, like, I'm not reading ahead, but do you want to bet that Buttigieg is not going to push back on the idea that we should even be entertaining the culture war to begin with? Like, he's going to take it on its terms. And that's the whole problem that liberals do is that they just, rather than saying, like, this is ridiculous, you guys are stupid to even think that corporations could possibly be woke. Uh, you guys have, like, bought into their image hook, line, and sinker, you dumbass chuds. Um, but liberals don't do that. They just say, oh, we actually stand with the woke corporations because we love them. It's like, everyone in this equation sucks. Like, every single person just sucks. Wait, I thought I thought Buttigieg was a lefty? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so what does that make us? We're Lunatics. like Red Bash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was, a, there was a, a truth by Trump the other day. Where he categorized, <laughs> he said something about, no, it was his Mother's Day truth. And it was like, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, especially the mothers of the lunatics and fascists on the Marxist left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was really painful. But like, kind of funny as he does. This. Yeah, I'm just going to take it and laugh with it now because that's all I can do. Um, it was more sincere than anything Buttigieg has ever posted his entire life. Yeah. Even though it was completely incomprehensible. Yeah, totally right. asinine, but still, he means it. He just has no fucking clue what he's talking about. Like, it's just not even <laughs> worth getting into the idea that it's ridiculous to call Marxist fascists. Like, it's just not even worth bothering. No, not with like, Trump. Not with Trump. No, absolutely not. But he believes it. Yeah, <laughs> because he doesn't know anything. Well, Buttigieg, would you like to answer? Oh, you guys the, didn't even the get woke, to... Quoke, no, woke, quote, quote. We could get past the question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a long night. Well, yes, there's something delicious about the way that Cruz and the rest of them have positioned themselves on one <laughs> Why side. Why would of you the say that? <laughs> <laughs> and Netflix, mm. Coca-Cola, Disney, and Bud Light are on the other side, along with most of America. Okay, okay, so this is Nick. So, again, this is what we're talking about, right? Like, there's no delineation between the corporate and people, right? Like he's saying, well, the corporations are going this way, so the people are going this way as well, and therefore we're all progressing. But there's no analysis of how, you know, Bud Light, while they'll put out, you know, this this beer this uh, beer can with this uh, Dylan, I can't remember their name. Oh, Mulvaney, um, right? Yeah, Dylan Mulvaney. One week, and then the next week, they're putting out some like deeply reactionary, like, "Well, this is America, and this is what our values are built upon, right?" And it's like, "We're well, you know, we're gonna guess that some of you chuds didn't see this, and we're gonna try to keep some of you on." It's like, but they're all just doing a market analysis. They know exactly or close to it how many people they're gonna lose for two weeks and how many people they're gonna gain back by the next week because our attention spans are like this anyway. They're not on your side. They don't do activism. They do marketing. And that has nothing to do with the progress of a society at all. And I, you know, I don't, I, I, maybe I'll take that back a little bit because I don't want to say that it's totally unimportant that representation is there for marginalized people. I do think it's important on some level, but I'm not going to take fucking Bud Light as my guiding star of that. Yeah, you're talking about, you want an honest representation of these people, not a cynical ploy to get them to buy swill more frequently. Right. Right. Which I, I think is a very easy to understand difference. Getting back to Petey. There may, in fact, be a center of gravity in this country that includes both a democratic majority of the American people and even something of a consensus, at least among mainstream business leaders. What? What does that look like? What, <laughs> what, is, what is the like genre of opinions that 
major business leaders and then the working class, just average American people would agree on. That doesn't just sound like smarmy, vague shit that has nothing to do with any kind of concrete principles. Like once you actually get down to economic anything at all, they're going to have vastly different fucking opinions about how their conditions of living should be. Yeah, I think one way to solve that is to look at the fact that they capitalized democratic majority Mm -hmm. of the American people. I think he's talking about the Democratic Party. Yes. And even if that's not the case, like I, I meant that more as a joke, but that is how you would square that circle. Is This is no, what a majority of Democratic Party members believe, not that is a Democratic majority of people. Right. And that's intentional. But like for all, for all he cares, those, those two things are one and the same, you know, as far as the neoliberal ideology goes. Also, what is the center of gravity in neoliberalism? when gravity is pulling everything towards a more unequal society by fucking definition. So I don't know how we're going to get there with these, uh, with these guidelines, Pete. You know, I'm sorry that I cut you off with the last thing that he says right after that. Um, I'll let you take a sip, Nick, just to finish that. He says right after that, he says, we have certain commitments around democracy and inclusion that are really elemental to the whole system. Do we, Pete? Do we fucking because it seems to me like there are states right now who are making a bunch of laws that are literally putting the U.S. in one of the stages of genocide against trans and LGBT people right now. Like that is what is going on. And like I have to see fucking to fucking kill black people indiscriminately on the streets. We have concentration camps around the borders, like like dozens and upon dozens of them. Uh, Biden, for all his promises to not let the kids out of the cages, they are still fucking in there. They just call them temporary detention centers, whatever they call them now, like. This country is like a fucking fascist hellhole. And for him to say, like, we have certain commitments around him and they're really elemental. It's like they can be as elemental as you fucking want. They still get eroded at at any point whenever people want to. Yeah, it's this issue. We have certain commitments around democracy and inclusion that are really elemental to the whole system. I mean, if Virginia um, was a actual journalist, you might ask them, would you mind telling us what those certain commitments around democracy and inclusion are in ways and concrete ways and policies that the Biden administration has pushed for or passed in order to supplement those commitments around democracy. And you could even be more biting by stating because there are still kids in cages. There are still black men being choked to death by police. There are still random stop and frisk searches around the country. These are not commitments to inclusion or democracy. Could you explain why the Biden administration has done nothing about any of these? Listen, but we got woke Coke. <laughs> <laughs> and that should be enough. <laughs> That's true. Although, if I remember right, didn't Trump have a button on his desk he could press to get a Coca-Cola brought into his office at any time of day? <laughs> so who's we the like real woke, We like it woke, folks. We like it dude, crisp and woke. Yes, we do. <laughs> That was one of his like legendary tweets. He was like, "Some he was trashing Coke." He's like, "Ah, eh, I'll keep drinking that crap anyway." Like in the same. <laughs> tweet, <he was> like, <laughs> so this oh is this is Virginia's actual question. True, but the right likes to dismiss any political action, even the name of elemental American ideals, as pretense or virtue signaling. I think of the time Putin defined the Kremlin's enemy as faux gras, oysters, and gender freedoms. An American conservative might hear him say, hear him and say, okay, foie gras, pronouns, annoying, pretentious, sure, 
but the Republicans really want to be dragged into a bigger far-right project, including the renunciation of democracy, modernity, civil rights, human rights? I gotta say, I have to praise you, Levi, for not being bougie enough to know how to pronounce foie gras. I don't know what it is, but I know it's some kind of like, it's like caviar, it's some kind of really pretentious thing that like rich people eat. I want to say it's some kind of like liver pate or some bullshit, but I don't really know. It's clearly something that Buttigieg would know. Oh, a thousand percent. Getting to Pete. Look, the mainstream rights political project was twofold. It was to prevent legal access to abortion and to sustain lower taxes for the wealthy. How are we doing on those fronts? That was Nick. Those are kind of the two (laughs) greatest pillars of the mainstream right right now. They're now the dog that caught the car. And to switch metaphors, they they rode a tiger to get there. Fuck, this guy makes no sense. They made a lot of <laughs> they made a lot of distasteful bargains in order to get there. Sometimes in the military, the military of all institutions comes under attack from the far right on ideological grounds. Yet another front in the culture war. Oh my god. His That's what she I, says. when he's <laughs> when he's being questioned about diminishing democracy and rights of Americans and people around the world, he goes towards defending the military. That's his move? Yeah, he's a patriot, buddy. He's a patriot that signed up to bring democracy to Afghanistan. I don't know what you expect him to say. Like, if you take that to its logical conclusion, is he arguing that the military should be deferred to in order to get us towards democracy and inclusion? The institution that is intentionally set up to be extremely hierarchical and anti-democratic? One of the main pillars of the military is order and allegiance? Like, what is his logic here? I mean, I know there's none. I mean, it just it goes to my point earlier that they have no idea what democracy even means. And like, I don't know if he does actually deep down or whatever. But like, again, I think it's one of these things where you hear it so much and you just associate it with a certain thing. But over time, that thing loses any root in reality and what it actually means. Right. Like, because like we, we say democracy and we just think of like what America has as a bourgeois political system. But, like, can we challenge that this is not really a democracy at all? And, like, sure, like, yeah, the right is trying to erode it and everything like that. But I don't know. There's still these, like, pain fucking calls to this non-existent form of it here. that It just never fucking existed the way these people think of it. And it's just become so intertwined with America's image on the world scale that it loses all fucking meaning at all. To your point, Nick, um, another thing that gets suggested in my um, Instagram Reels feed now is a lot of like lib sort of TikTok videos. Like, I don't mean like libs of TikTok. I mean like things that blew and on. Like the people who really still believe Biden's doing a good job would watch and like be like, "Oh, this is a dunk." Like, so one I saw today was this politician on the on the left asking all these Republicans, you know, did the Trump tax cuts pay for themselves? And like getting them to actually admit that like they didn't. And they resulted in a lot, like a, just a net loss of revenue for the government and a lot of cutting of programs. I mean, like just the basic stuff. And all these lives in the comments are like, yeah, finally getting them to like own up to the shit. I'm like, again, commenting because I have to stir the pot. I'm like, so Biden's going to reverse them, right? Like they're going to get undone like any minute now, right? Like, and of course they will not. And like, this is the whole thing. Both parties only want to dunk on the others. Like we think of the right as just the ones who view all this emotionally and just want to own the libs because they say it outright. But really... 
the lid. It works the so other way want, too. Yeah, that's all they want to do is get yeah. those hypocrisy owns in. Meanwhile, the right is buying guns. So I don't know what you guys want to do with that. Like, I would say that you're even being generous. I think the libidinal energy on the Democratic Party is so limited. I mean, you might be seeing it on your TikTok feed, but I see actual people when I drive 30 minutes outside of Pittsburgh that are waving Trump flags. I don't see anybody waving Biden flags anywhere I go. There is no emotional connection to the Democratic Party, whereas there is, I believe, a true emotional connection to Donald Trump, whether or not he's representing the Republican Party at this moment. I would say he is. So I think even on your interpretation, you're being a little kind. The Democratic <laughs> Party has no emotional connection to their base. Other than you guilt, heard, you other heard than it feeling here. bad, like you heard it here. Mike's being accused of being too kind to fucking libs by Levi. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you no, might. I mean, like that's the intelligence. Is if they wanted an emotional connection, that would be something like Sanders. He had an emotional connection to the Democratic Party because he was willing to connect on that emotional level. We have our problems with Bernie Sanders, but he was clearly the best person that was running that year because he had that emotional connection. He could stir up energy. Hillary Clinton couldn't. Joe Biden can't. I no. would wager that people to judge cannot either. <laughs> I mean, Biden might actually be able to stir up more than Pete, honestly, as bleak as that sounds. I mean, uh, he's nothing. He's nothing, this guy. No. So we're getting to uh, almost about an hour for the night. Do you guys want to do those next two questions and then put off the rest for like maybe another one since we have like a good half of this interview left still? Like it's crazy. Yeah, this next question is pretty hard hitting. Yeah. So me as Virginia, the woke Pentagon? (laughs) (laughs) You could add to that list Bud Light, Coke, football, Disney, and the Army brings it up again. You can only put yourself on the wrong side of so many red, white, and blue American institutions. <laughs> and the question becomes, is this about you? Which, which is crazy, because Bud Light is owned by Enbev, which is a Belgian company. Yeah. Anyway. Me as Virginia. I, so I just Go also, ahead, just don't, I don't understand what he means by any of that response. Like, that's totally <laughs> unintelligible. Like, I'll let you continue. Oh, man. So, Virginia. Speaking of... Is this about you? Have you followed the masculinity crusade of former TV personality Tucker Carlson? Testicle warming and the rest? <laughs> she really is asking the hard-hitting questions, yeah. I gotta say. Like, <laughs> I know. It's, how does this pass for fucking journalism? This is crazy. Also, just a reminder, this article came out less than four days ago. Yeah. Uh, and that's the closest thing she can talk to in terms of relevance for Tucker Carlson is his genital warming thing that I think came out months ago. So are we priming the pump in the event of the October surprise of Brandon just fucking kicking it? Ugh. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then we need to, like, get Kamala's benzo-addled ass, like, out of the picture as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, what's the most entertaining scenario there? Like, ugh, anything could happen, Dude, really. I mean, it's going to be funny anyway. And, like, I... I hate to even say this, but I am going to take some morbid pleasure in Trump fucking just destroying anybody on the Republican stage or the Democratic stage that they can throw up at him right now. Like, I mean, again, I don't like Trump at all or anything like that, but I hate all these fucking people. And, like, he'll destroy someone like Buttigieg. Like, there's just no doubt about it. That's actually yeah, just, it is an interesting timing. Can I take, like, a, just a quick aside? 
I was talking to uh, Anarcho Spirituality on Instagram today, uh, David. He just recorded his episode with Brett from Rev, Rev Left today. So I'm like super excited oh, to cool. hear that because they talked a lot about like Buddhism and like linking it to leftism and everything. And he said they referenced the episode that, you know, I did with uh, with David a little a while back. And uh, we had so much fun talking to him. And even though we were obviously pretty like skeptical, like atheist Marxist, like we still had a really good episode. And he had said that part of what they talked about today was their stance on voting and like being sort of pro voting. And then he was like, he said in the DMs to me, he was like, yeah, really anybody except the most like, you know, just totally up in their own ass Marxists could advocate for voting. And I'm like, are you talking about me? Like, are, are you like, because like, I've said so many times, like voting is useless. Like, it's just like the fucking adult version of writing letters to Santa. Like all the things that I've said evil about voting on this show or on mine. And uh, I'm like, are you are you like th talking about me to me right now? And he's like, wait, I thought you agreed with me. I thought you thought voting was good. I'm like, I've pretty much always said that, like voting locally, if you have some kind of local measure you think you can make a difference on or like even some down ballot races, you really think you can make a difference on go for it. But like the presidential elections are pure spectacle. Like if you if you really care about who's going to be president, especially after seeing how many presidents just continue the same policies, Democratic or Republican, like I don't need to beat a dead horse. Like you're just fooling yourself. And um, I don't know. I just I can't understand like this idea of like caring about the presidential elections that much. And like the Tucker Carlson thing, like this masculinity, like going back to this, like the testicle warming is like none of this is relevant at all. Um, I just feel like all of it comes down to, like I said, spectacle. And yeah, I care about like Biden croaking or Trump croaking or Trump trouncing people because it is entertaining, not because I like Trump or because like I think he's going to be good for the country. I'm like a MAGA communist. I just think he tends to be the most funny. And if the only thing we can get out of the presidential races is spectacle, then I want the funniest results. Like, And also Trump has the added benefit of making libs care about politics again, which I hate to say like kind of helps like if they actually start getting active like people were more active on the left during his tenure than they have been in my entire life just because they actually fucking care like he gets the libs out for better or worse yeah i've always repeated a position that i think aaron thorpe from the trobolis has said that voting should be an embarrassment at best you should go out and do it when you truly think it's going to matter but in the back of your heart you should always remember it's not going to matter yeah yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. It's just, and that's why I'm stating this like I am right now, because like, I, I just, I'm, we're, we're facing these, the debates and the election season, and I could choose to let it like drive me crazy, or I could just kind of go along for the ride and get some enjoyment and continue to do like the organizing and agitation work that I try to do anyway as part of my small thing that I, you know, take part in, right? Because that's like, I don't know, that's way more important than fucking voting for Trump or Biden at this point in time. And I don't mean that for me personally. I mean that anybody can go out and like do something small in their community and shit like that to try to move some kind of quantitative change forward, right? Before we get something qualitative, but whatever. Um, let's get to Pete's response. So this is in response to the, the testicle warming. <laughs> I just can't fucking. <laughs> I mean, where to begin on this? Fears about masculinity yeah, I mean, are. Awake. That's the worst thing that Carl Tucker Carlson talked about. Oh, I not, know. Yeah, not like genociding not, trans yeah. people or you know pushing us towards World War Three with China. Or yeah, I was gonna say like I don't want to get empower, into this we brought empowering up empowering yeah empowering anti semites in Hungary or. 
any of the other actual awful things. Let's talk about the testicle warming thing. <laughs> yeah. No, but and Mike, this is really because I listened to that thing with Abby that you sent earlier. Abby, oh, yeah, just everybody so has to great. check out the Media Roots Radio two-part episode on Tucker Carlson they just put out because uh, even part two was, I think, even better than the first one. But yeah, really great all around. And this is something that I've heard in real life, and it's like, well, you know, even Tucker's talking about how bad, um, you know, how bad this Ukraine war is and everything like that, and how much of it's a proxy war by the deep state and shit like that. Tucker is literally getting you ready for a war with China. He's literally he wants, he, he, he wants, you know, his position on this whole thing was that we should be allying with Russia against China. Okay? So I, I just, like, I could be a lot harsher right now, but if you are on the left and you're having, like, any kind of semblance of thought that, like, oh, you know, maybe Tucker is somebody that we could utilize here, dispel the notion from your head. <laughs> yeah. Because... First of all, he's not really anti-war. He was in fucking Nicaragua standing the Contras, okay? And he's also espousing, like, white replacement theory and genocidal rhetoric towards trans people. So get that fucking notion right out of your head. Guy's a monster, and there's nothing to do with the left. And fuck Glenn Greenwald. But anyway, hey, what? He had, some, he had some good moments before. I mean... Well, fuck him now. I'll yeah, appreciate okay. it. Yeah. Not, not everything is tarnished, but fuck him now. Actually, we should we should wrap up with Pete's answer to the masculinity testicle warming thing because then he starts to get into EVs and electric cars and more climate change stuff. So we should finish with yeah. this one before he transitions. Yeah, that's fine. So he says, I mean, where to begin on this? Fears about masculinity are a way into the fear of displacement. Masculinity establishes a default place, and that place is being shifted and threatened by modernity. A man as the head of the household, the only one who earns income, the default leader in any social or political organization. The politicization of masculinity is code for nothing in your life has to change. The problem is, of course, lots of things have to change, either because there was something wrong with the old way, or because even as the old way seemed perfectly fine, it's not an option. This is true with the realities of climate change. If you can't face that change, you might retreat to the default place of masculinity. Maybe that's why someone characterized electric vehicles as emasculating. I think it was Marjorie Taylor Greene. Yeah, I'm I'm drawn to this transitional paragraph that he sort of pulled together. The politicization of masculinity is code for nothing in your life has to change. The problem is, of course, lots of things have to change. So already he's pivoted away from masculinity. He's not actually talking about masculinity anymore. He's not talking about lots of things. Either because there was something wrong with the old way or because even as the old way seemed perfectly fine, it's not an option. So he stated nothing about masculinity here. Right. At all. It's not mentioned even patriarchy. Like, he has said absolutely nothing. <laughs> nah. Yeah. And we've made a lot out of nothing all night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could dine out on this whole article for another night easily. So if you guys want to pick it up again, I'm down. Yeah, definitely. Oh, man, I just, I needed to get this one out of my system. We've been doing some fucking, like, serious topics, and I've been doing some serious reading for the intervention stuff. So this was refreshing, if not if not also frustrating. But <laughs> Yeah, that transition episode was rough. Yeah. I'll probably drop this on, like, Thursday, so we'll just plug that real quick, Levi. So, you know, this, tomorrow we'll have... 
tomorrow, today's Monday. You guys have already heard it, hopefully, but we'll have had our taste of empire, and then we'll be getting back into the uh, Palestine, Zionism, and Empire series and talking about the time of, like, the Nakba and the post-World War II period and everything like that. So that's where my head's been at. So this has been this has been fun. Yeah, it's a nice reprieve, I guess. Yeah. Cool. Well, unless you guys have any uh, final thoughts, we can cut it there. Well, I, I think the problem is that a lot of things have to change. So either way, because something was wrong with the old way or because the old way was seen perfectly fine. But, you know, that's just not an option. So I, I think that's a good place to end it. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Let's pick up on the second half of the interview another night this week if you guys want to. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Adios, paisanos.